so there's more than 24 different algorithms right now that are fighting. I, I always think of it as like a creative mind. When you're being creative, parts of you say do X, parts of you might say make it more colorful, other parts might say add contrast, and they're all fighting. The loudest voice is the one that wins and, and takes over in your creative process, and your brain listens to that. And it's the same with these. Is there enough contrast? A very simple algorithm. To Is the composition balanced? A little more complicated. Another one might be a generative adversarial network or some high-end neural network that's at the cutting edge of what people are doing with regards to like generating new images. And it's just saying, hey, you know, I see a face in there at this location because I just recognized it. Why don't we develop that face a little further and see what happens? That was Pindar Van Arman. Pindar is an AI artist known for his work with painting robots. He's been painting with machines for 15 years. More recently, his robots have been using deep learning neural networks, artificial intelligence, feedback loops, and computational creativity to make real-time independent aesthetic decisions. This interview was just a ton of fun. Talk about the perfect combination of real-world painting robots. That alone is pretty cool. But then you combine it with AI and NFTs, and it definitely feels like this is an episode from the future. Also, I want to mention, as a bonus, if you're listening to this episode on launch day, listen to the entire thing because we mentioned a secret NFT drop that Pendar has coming out tomorrow. All right, you're going to love this one. Let's talk to Pendar. Pindar, thank you so much for joining me. Hey, how are you doing, Kevin? I'm doing well. Today's a really exciting day because I'm excited to have you on. I, I was telling a little Discord group that I'm a member of that you were going to be on the show, and they don't, they're really good at keeping things private and not, you know, spilling the beans too early. And everyone's like, oh, hell yeah. They're really excited that you're going to be a guest. And I think it's because your work is so cool. Oh, thanks, man. It's it's kind of, it's still surreal for me, even though I've been making art for 15 years. No one's really noticed until the NFT thing started. So it's still, I'm still getting used to it. And, and it's really enjoyable. Yeah. Especially hear things like that. It's funny you, um, you say that because I've had a conversation with a handful of artists that they were what they call these like GIF artists back in the day or GIF, however you wanted to say it. Mm-hmm. But they, they've been doing it for a decade plus and they've been using products like Giphy and like Xcopy, for example, have been doing this mm-hmm. for over 10 years and there was no way to monetize it. You'd sell something for $20 a print or something, you know, and yeah. then MTs hit and just like boom, an explosion. It was just crazy. Yeah, I used to have to sell on eBay. That was the uh, auction house I would use. And and I was doing okay on there, but it was still, that wasn't mainstream. And, and it was frowned upon by galleries. So I think that hurt me in the, in the real art world. But I was just trying to get my art out there any way I could. That's so. well. Let's let's talk about that origin story. Like, give me the, your background for people that that don't know you, and I, I being one of them, other than just being an admirer online. How did you get started in this space? I've always been a painter, and then I, I got into something really neat called the uh, DARPA Grand Challenge in 2005. And a lot of people already know about it, but for those that don't, uh, DARPA put up a million dollar bounty or award to like if you could race a car, a self driving car across the desert. And hundreds of teams like showed up to like make these self-driving cars and, and race them across the re- desert. Ours actually did very good. I was on Team Ensco, and we got 82 miles uh, before we veered off the street and ran into a tree. But, uh, but still, it was like 82 miles. And, and like I think like we're sixth out of 120 teams. That was the sixth uh, best. Only five people finished the second one. No cars finished the first one. But long and short of it is, it was this great robot race, and I loved the AI, and I wanted to get into it, and I was still a painter at the time, but I couldn't afford to make 
I wanted to do more AI, but I couldn't afford to make self-driving cars, let alone like worry about the safety and testing it. And so I just decided, I was like, why don't I just make self-painting robots? And it coincided with the fact that I just had kids and I had no time anymore. And I was like, hey, it'd be so neat if these robots would paint most of a painting for me. And then I would like have the last couple hours after the kids were asleep and just finish them up. And wait, what year was this? Uh, like 2005. Yeah. It was, it's, it's great that you asked. I used to AI arts everywhere right now, but back then I would search out other AI artists and, and it's by no means, you know, were we the early ones because, you know, AI art goes back to is when AI began like 60, 70 years, I would go search out other artists that were making robotic paintings. And there were so few, like I would say less than three or four that I found. And it was harder to use the internet back then. And we all were all in touch with each other, working together, helping each other out because it was such a weird thing to make a, a robot that painted. But that's how it got started. And it's just something to like help me paint. So actually, it, it started off, I'll come out and say it, it started off as a printer that printed with a paintbrush. But then over the last 15, 16 years, every couple of months, I add another routine, another module to, to make a little more intelligent. And at this point, it's it's got to the point where it's a really capable studio assistant. Like it's actually, it'll, it'll never be an artist until it's uh, self-aware, but it is creative. It is creative. And, yeah. uh, and that's a controversial thing to say, but I think it's true. I'm curious, how does this differ and where does the AI come into play? Because if you think about the 3D printers, let's say, or any printer really, it's just, you know, you give it a file, you say go, and it starts churning out and producing the output. You could have done that as like a, a V1, but when did the AI actually make an appearance? Um, I have lots of small routines that do things like organize colors, take care of contrast. But there's one time I, I left... Uh, the robot running and I came back and the painting was half finished and it was just painting away, but there was no brush in the robot arm. The brush had, like, it hadn't malfunctioned somehow. The brush had collided with something and it knocked the brush off. And, but the robot was still painting like a dumb printer, right? Like an unintelligent printer, just going through the motions of painting. But every time it would dip its brush into the paint, there's no brush. So it would make no strokes. And then I just realized at that moment, I was like, this is just, this has got to be smarter than that. If it drops its brush, it has to know and it has to change what it's doing. And so I added cameras. And this was like in 2007 or 2008. But I added cameras and I introduced this feedback loop. And I think this is probably, I still use this as I still think this is the most important algorithm to it all. But every couple strokes, it takes a step back, takes a picture of the canvas and then asks itself, how's this coming along? Hmm. And it's that feedback. It's like exactly what an artist does. Uh, an abstract expressionist will throw some paint on the canvas, take a step back from the canvas and, and say, hey, what did that do? And use that input as input to its next strokes. So I think that's the most important AI algorithm, these feedback loops. Taking a picture of the progress and then trying to make decisions from there of what to do next. Hmm. And so when it takes a picture of that progress and it looks as it, and it analyzes that image, yeah. Is it looking, is it, is it asking itself, am I applying enough paint here or is it making structural decisions on the painting where it says, I'm not liking the way this looks because of X, Y, or Z, and I'm going to make a modification because of that? Yeah. So, so there's more than 24 different algorithms right now that are fighting. And you can imagine them as like a shouting. Like I always think of it as like a creative mind. When you're being creative, like parts of you say do X, 
you know, parts of you might say make it more colorful. Other parts might say add contrast. And they're all fighting. The loudest voice is the one that wins and, and takes over in your creative process and your brain listens to that. And it's the same with these. It'll have 24 different algorithms that range in. Is there enough contrast? A very simple algorithm to like, is the composition balanced a little more complicated? So it, it measures the what's how busy things are in different parts of the canvas. To the third one, which might be, or another one, which might be, a generative adversarial network or some high-end neural network that's like at the cutting edge of what people are doing with regards to like generating new images. And it's just saying, hey, you know, I see a face in there at this location because I just recognized it. Why don't we develop that face a little further and see what happens? Mm. And so um, it runs the whole gamut. And and through the course of any painting, it might change its direction several dozen times and listen to different algorithms do different things. And I think... What I'm trying to what I'm trying to do is capture my creative process, and and I think that's how my creative process works. And whether or not it is, the whole the whole process is teaching me more about how I paint and how I think humans paint in general. But it, it, that's and that's where I go to this creative crazy statement that is controversial that this is definitely creative. It does some very creative, abstract portraits and. Uh, I would qualify that as being as creative as, as many portrait artists out there. Yeah. That, I mean, how do you weight these things though? Like in some sense, are you still the one that's setting the weight for these different algorithms? I do. Okay. So you you look at the output at the end and say, okay, you know what? I want to dial this up a little bit, dial this down for the next time you go to work. Is that right? Yeah. I, I leave them all at even weight. I'm very interactive with what's going on. So, but I, I start them all off even and I let the painting run and some of them like contrast is really bad. That'll just get louder and louder and louder and it'll turn itself up and it does adjust its own weights. But then I might walk in and it does that automatically. The problem is when I let the robot run automatically, there's about a 25% chance the painting is going to come out good. So I, I might come out like at six hours, look at what's going on and say to myself, oh, you know what? There is no contrast. Let me go turn that contrast dial up and I'll, and I'll raise the volume, so to speak, on contrast. And then the robot will start listening to the contrast algorithm more. Hmm. And so I, I sort of play with these levers uh, throughout the course of a painting to to like push it in the right direction. Gotcha. And so, but you know what? There is some fun when a painting is going really well. And I don't touch it. And I do comment on those. When I have a painting that I don't touch, that I, I, I will mention that. And that'll be one of the features of that painting is that completely done by the robot. The only decision I made was to stop. Hmm. And, so, and, so it doesn't know when to stop. That's probably the most beautiful algorithm that someone, if someone could come up with, because I don't know how many times I've looked at a painting and it's been great. And I was like, this is beautiful. And then I come back like 12 hours later and it's been destroyed. So, you know, uh, and the beauty's gone and I was like, it's a, it's a waste. And so that'd be a beautiful algorithm. It has a very simple one, Kevin. And, and the simple one is it has a picture in its memory of what it wants to paint. And it's painting away on the canvas to make it look like what's in its memory. And uh, every time it does a brush stroke, it does, uh, every time it takes a photo, it compares the photo of the canvas to what's in its memory and me- does a mathematical measurement of the difference like the Delta, how much does this picture of the canvas differ from what's in my memory? And through the course of the painting, it's driving forces make that canvas look more like my what's in my memory or what I'm going for. But at a certain point, it flatlines. It no longer, uh, the difference will lower, 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 lower. And then all of a sudden, there might go a thousand strokes or like, I don't, it doesn't matter what paint strokes I put on here. It's not changing. It's not more like my memory. And the robot's like, oh, did my best. 
but that's a that's pretty rudimentary. That's not a very intelligent way of doing it. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. Where does the original image come from? The the picture and the memory. A simple answer is if I'm commissioned for a portrait, I'll ask for a lot of pictures from someone. Uh, and I have some instructions in my crypto voxel plot on how to make good pictures. And then I'll just feed those to the robot and the robot's AI algorithms will run style transfer and GANs on them. The coolest thing is it, changed through, it changes through the course of the painting. But 12 hours in, it's, it's chasing one image. And then it might say, hey, I know I was chasing that image, but there's this other portrait or there's this other picture that's come from my generative adversarial network that looks kind of neat. Why don't I start shifting towards that one? And mm-hmm. so it's always chasing something. That's interesting. Uh, I I hadn't. So, could you bring us up to speed on what GAN is and how it works? Because I think, I, in my mind, I always had this idea that you you train the model on a bunch of images, like thousands ideally, and then or tens of thousands, and then you ask for an output and it spits out an output that it has compared against its model. Is that more or less correct? How, how does that, or would you have a better way of describing that? So a generative adversarial network is two neural networks that are fighting against each other. One is imagining things and the other is like an art critic. You can imagine like an art critic. Mm-hmm. And so the, the, per, the neural network that's imagining just like takes random shots. It's like, hey, I'm going to go ahead and paint, uh, for example, if we're trying to paint portraits, I'm going to go ahead and paint a portrait and it might generate complete static and it sends it to the second neural network, and the second neural network says something like that. It looks nothing like a portrait, although this part might be okay. And the second neural network will adjust itself, but also tell the first neural network, you need to change this, a lot of your parameters to make it look more like what's in my neural network. And you do this several thousand times where the imaginative neural network called the um, generator uh, creates an imagined picture, sends it to the art critic, which I consider, which is called the discriminator. And the art critic says, that looks a little more like a portrait, but here's where you did good and here's where you did bad. Go ahead and make some adjustments and send me some more tries. Um, And it does this over and over again, where the discriminator tells the uh, generator how to make it more like a portrait, like tens of thousands of times until eventually, by sheer trial and error, the generator can start making some pretty good counterfeits of whatever the discriminator is discriminating. In this case, the discriminator has 10,000 portraits after about, I mean, it's pretty fast, actually. After about 2,000 tries, the uh, generator is going to be imagining some pretty good faces. Hmm. Yeah, this is it's such cool stuff because when you see it applied to, well, just to watch it evolve over the last few years has been amazing. But also when you see it applied to, there's always that really famous website and we've all seen them reported across the media where these human images are generated where you can't tell the difference between yeah. the generated image and an actual human. I, I, one question about that, though, it seems like the generator and the discriminator, they're kind of trying to work towards perfection. And so wouldn't, in some sense, this be a bad thing if you're trying to come up with something that has some creativity to it? Because it's just going to try and paint the best possible landscape yeah. of your portrait ever versus putting some artistic flair. Yeah, no, I mean, here's the critique I have of people that use uh, GANs, including myself, and is they start to all look the same, right? Like, there's, it's, it's really hard to make a distinctive GAN series because, because they all start looking the same. Like, I, I can't tell the difference. Several artists will do GANs, for example, it's popular to do GANs of CryptoPunks. They all look the same. And mm-hmm. there's, it's like, uh, it's all trained on the same data. So it all comes out looking like the same. So you're right. It does. 
it does lose its creativity. And that's why like for someone to be a good GAN artist, they have to add a little bit of, uh, I guess, like salt or, or something interesting to the data that's different. Mm. And when they do that, I see people be successful. I see people make a signature look. But yeah, it's, it is, it's interesting. My favorite example of, of the, of the use of GANs is NVIDIA always makes these celebrity faces. That's what they concentrate on. They train these data sets on celebrities and they'll make a thousand celebrities. And you look at them and it's like, Oh my gosh, that looks like a celebrity, but I can't quite place it. Hmm. You can't figure out which celebrity it is, but it still has this familiar look to it. That's crazy. Uh, you, you, one of the things that I love that you've done is this board ape. Uh, Gan and yeah, yours, yours very much. I, I will say that the reason I, I've always wanted to collect one of your pieces and I have it yet, but it, it's on my to do list <laughs> when I see you drop Thanks. something new. Is I I always look at it and I'm like, wow, this is not just like you, you mentioned. It doesn't feel like just another Gan project. It's like there there is someone or obviously it's you has touched this in a way and made it unique uniquely different than the rest. So how did you do the board Ape one? Because that one is just so funky. And we'll obviously link all these in the show notes too so people can check them out. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, you know, everyone can check that out on Super Rare too. That's where I uh, have all my one ones. And it's um, that one, you know, that's an example I was talking about earlier where the robot will be taking pictures and change direction. That was one where it's like the GAN is constantly generating these faces of the board Apes and uh, at one point it switched. It was like the board apes were facing left and all of a sudden uh, the GAN flipped it. One way to get a lot of data is when you feed in the da- images, you flip them uh, on the horizon and it just makes it better, higher quality. But halfway through that painting, it looked left all of a sudden and the robot started painting a different face that was looking left. There's more of a, it's like a time composite. Like while it is definitely based on GANs, the GAN it was painting was changing constantly while I was painting. And I think that took two or three days to finish painting on itself and painting over itself and making adjustments. And it, it was one of those ones where it would have kept on going, but I was like, no, it's finished. And, and I was the one that just sort of like played with those levers until um, I could convince the robot that it didn't need to make any more brush strokes. So what you're saying then is there's there's a couple different ways to do this. One, you could say, okay, Gan, spit out a single image that I'm going to give to the robot to draw. And you could yeah. do that. But what you're saying is, Gan, give me a new image, what, every few hours? Constantly running them. So it's like they, yeah, constantly running them. And then here's where it gets really cool, Kevin, is it's taking photos of the canvas. And like, you know, there's that original training set. It's using mm-hmm. the new photos from the canvas and putting them into his extra oh, images to crazy. train on. And that's like, it's like almost like a feedback from itself. And that, isn't that neat? That is crazy. So you're basically, you, in some sense, you're messing with it a little bit, right? Yeah. You're, like, you're not just giving it pure, beautiful images to work with. You're like, hey, here's something that you did. Now take that and incorporate that into what you're doing. Yeah. Like I've read so much. At its root, this is all generative art, right? And And the one complaint I have with generative art is it's all predetermined, even though we're using random numbers. The random numbers, in a sense, are predetermined when you get down to the technicalities of it. So how do you add true randomness that's meaningful? You know, not just like, oh, not just like I'm listening to, you know, a lot of people do stuff like they'll pick some kind of like the direction of the wind and the direction of the wind will change their generative art. And and that's that's cool, but it's not meaningful to me. Mm. So I think it's like, what's more meaningful than to add this random element? And the random element is what is actually getting rendered on the canvas. Mm. You know, that, so like, does that make sense? Yeah. 
Absolutely. And, and, and like, that's the other reason I make you, everyone knows this about my art is, is there's always drips. I paint at an angle. So the paint drips because I love the fact that the robot will see those drips and try and repair it. It's like, Mm. Oh my gosh, there's an error there. And so you're adding these like random real world events to the creation of the canvas. And I think that's kind of, that's a cool way to add serendipity to, to the piece. Yeah. So cool. And, and so then afterwards, like some of these are, you could see, okay, like for the AI board apes, uh, it's not animated. So you're mm-hmm. just taking a photo of the painting. And then if someone collects that, do they get both the painting and the NFT or how does that work? <laughs> as much as I think I know about NFTs, I'm getting a lesson that no one cares about the, well, very few people care about the paintings. Uh, they want, they just love the NFTs. It's a new world. I would say less than half the people, I always make it available. Mm-hmm. But I would say less than half the people ever take delivery of the paintings. Crazy. That's crazy to me. I, I would know. want both. I know. A lot of people do want both. But, you know, there's anonymous collectors and they don't want to give out their address. So I understand that. And so I just hold on to them. And I, I imagine I'll, one day, you know, I'll have a cool NFT show where I'll be like abandoned paintings. So that one did go out. That one was collected or, or accepted. But less than 50% of them are. Yeah, that's crazy. So then there's these animated ones. So I take it, you're taking the painting then, you're stopping down, taking a photograph of that. And then how do you work in the animation? Yeah, the the newer ones, this is, so this goes back to, I mean, I don't know how far I want to go back with this, but you mentioned the paintings. This is interesting because I've always felt like an imposter in the NFT world um, because it goes all the way back to the early days of Super Rare. Let me take a step back here, Kevin. It goes all the way back to the early days of Super Rare where I would take photos of my robot paintings and I would list them as NFTs. And I remember even talking to uh, talking to Super Rare about it. I was like, are you sure this is okay because they're not one of ones? And they're like, yeah, we, we made this agreement that as long as I destroyed the originals, the canvases, we'd do that. It would be fine. And I remember I destroyed the first couple canvases and then I got lazy and, and just like stopped destroying them, but no one cared. And... And oh, the reason I mentioned this is these were just, they were all photos for the longest time. And so I felt like an imposter because there's Hakatao doing these gorgeous animated digital pieces, X copy, of course, with his animated GIFs. Everyone was digitally native except me, it seemed. Hmm. I was this like person taking photos of canvases. And, and it just felt like, I sort of felt like, I mean, most artists, I think, feel like imposters at some level, but I felt as like, ah, NFTs aren't for me. I'm just an AI artist trying to take advantage of, of this NFT space, but I don't belong with the digital crew here. And so I started looking for angles to like, what is, what is it about my artwork that deserves to be an NFT? And the only one I could think of was like, hey, why don't I start painting portraits? Because I do portraits. Everyone knows that about me that uh, follows my work. Can I get some famous people like Satoshi Nakamoto? Can I do a portrait of him? But the problem I have is I also have a code as a portrait artist is I won't paint a portrait of someone without their permission or without a sitting. You know, they, mm. I sort of feel like it's their identity. It's their image. I need their permission. And, uh, and so that left, left me as like, I don't really have an angle to fit in here. It wasn't until recently, like I'd say within the last year that like everything changed for me in the matter of perspective with these animations where I realized that, you know, in the beginning, I, I think I mentioned earlier, I always saw myself as an AI artist that was, you know, almost an imposter in the digital world because my AI art wasn't digital. It was like a, a painted canvas, you know, like that actually had acrylic dried on, on canvas but I, I realized just the opposite. I realized I am so into this NFT and crypto world uh, that that's what I follow. I, I don't follow AI art half as much. 
Um, I don't collect AI art like I collect crypto art. Um, and then I finally found a way to animate them that made sense. And, and, and the thing that I wish I came up with years ago was I have all this beautiful training data that I've been talking about and we've been talking about in the GANs. Why don't I show the GANs alongside the finished piece? So when you see a piece, a painting that has an animation behind it, it's either a time lapse of the painting getting completed as it goes through the GANs mm. or it's the GANs superimposed. So it's actually the training data, what, you know, what his memory was chasing, uh, superimposed on the final piece. Oh, that's so cool. I'm trying to make it so you can see what the robot was thinking that's and a, as well as the painting. It's such a cool process. It, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think you're bridging, uh, this is like, just my take, but it, it feels like this is the ultimate, right? Because you, you're getting physical, you're doing things in robotics, you're doing things in AI. It's like, it, it, this is the perfect combination of things. Like NFTs make a ton of sense here. Like it's all, it's all wonderful. <laughs> it's, Thanks. It's, well, it's very novel. It's like, there's, there's going to be a ton of artists and not to, not to diminish anyone else's artwork, but like anytime you have it, make it super easy to create an NFT. Anyone armed with Photoshop can create an NFT, right? Like, but not everyone can do the depth and, and, and kind of level of creativity that you're doing here. It's, it's very cool. Thanks. Yeah, it's weird. Until recently, it's made me feel like an outsider to the digital world or the digital art world. Hmm. It's interesting. How, how have your collectors changed over time? Like wh- what I'm looking back on, on your kind of, you know, stuff that was selling back in the old, it seems like, there's been some great secondary sales that you've had, but I mean, did it start off when you first started? Because you, you were minting very early on Super Rare. So some of these pieces were just selling for, in, in X copies and everybody else, were selling just a, a, for a few thousand dollars, right? Back then, we were trading a lot. Like everyone has their, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that. But you know, I actually had X copies uh, Genesis piece. Oh my and, God. Uh, I can't I know, believe right? you did that. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. I still have one X copy. I still have one X copy. But there came a time where like we we're just trading back and forth at several hack And I, I remember when the time came, you know, we would just be like, Hey, I, I really love this piece. And there was this just like, just, I guess it, I don't know where it's gone. I guess the money's gone too much, but like if I bought something from hack all of a sudden I'd look a couple hours later, something of mine would have sold for exactly this, or he would put an offer exactly what I paid. You know, like I wouldn't call it swap trading because I never colluded with anyone to say, Hey, I'll buy yours for ETH if you buy mine for an ETH. But there'd just be like, if, you know, everyone was so grateful when you bought something, they, they'd do a solid and buy something back from yours. So, I mean, my early collectors are awesome. It's like Coldy, Hackatow, Xcopy, Zach, Super Roses. It's just like the, the scene at the time. And none of them are selling. Everyone holds on the older stuff. Everyone's just a autonomous artifact. Uh, I'll stop naming names because I don't want anyone to feel left out, but there's so many more. But that's what it used to happen. And then I remember when it got to like, I think I, I sort of enjoy, I think you should sell artwork and not hold it forever. Like I remember X copies, it was like a time where like uh, an offer came in for the Genesis piece. It was more than a thousand dollars. And I just, I, I tweeted to, or I sent a message X copy. It was like, do you want me to accept this? I don't, it doesn't matter to me, but I mean, it'd be kind of cool to break that $1,000 barrier, even though everyone talks about everything in ETH. So and crazy. I know, and he goes, he goes, yeah, that'd be awesome. I can't believe it. And then, and then I did it. And then, um, and I did it to an awesome collector too, is it's the Momus collection. They will never sell. I don't, I'm not sure who that is, who Seb is, but I mean, they have, uh, Seb did a really good job of collecting a lot of Genesis pieces, including mine. And I bet that, I bet it's just none of them ever sell. So, um, that's how it was back then. It was, it was like that. And then I guess the meteor, meteoric rise was in the past year. 
where things got really crazy. Like, I, I think, I don't know, I, I almost forgot the question because it's such an interesting thing to talk about. But we were all surprised by it. I mean, all of us, like, you're right, we're selling for, it was in the ETH, but ETH was, I think when I started, ETH was might have been as low as 30 bucks. I forget. You know, it was like a couple hundred dollars right. a piece. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's so cool to watch this evolve and actually power and, and make this a real business, like or a real way that you can actually provide for yourself now. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. I, I, I don't believe it. I'm, I'm just like in shock. Sometimes when I think about it, when I talk to uh, my artist friends and, and my wife about it, it's just I was like, can you believe this? It's like almost too good to be true. I, I do get worried that it's like going to end. I have no idea. But it won't. It hasn't. And and I, the optimistic side of me thinks to myself, I was just in, a, I'll, I'll use this as an anecdote just to be like how optimistic I am. I was in a show in India, um, an AI show, and they were supposed to do it with, it was supposed to be NFTs and it was supposed to be all sold in crypto. But at the last minute, the gallery is like, look, we can't do it in crypto. We can't do it as NFTs. I'd already um, committed. So I was, uh, I don't, this is irritating because I, I I want to just do it in NFTs, but I was like, okay, we'll go with it. And the reasoning, and then the show went, did great. It totally sold out, uh, not just me, but several other artists. And in the end it was NFTs, but the reason they couldn't go with NFTs is India had these, has some rules that I don't understand against crypto. And then, and I just thought to myself, if India isn't into crypto now and can't be into NFTs and China is having a hard time with it, that's like 2 billion people that are, at least 2 billion people that are about to, dis- that can't be stopped. In yeah. the next four to five years, we're going to have a, the market's going to expand by the entire country of India, a billion people. Um, I, and then right now, so if you think of how many more people are going to get involved in the next five years, it just, I see a hundred times more people five years from now in this. hundred percent so, agree. And in the, the, the institutional side, which I know well, working in venture capital, the number of funds that are talking about now, whether it's a good thing or not is is still up for debate, but getting involved and actually deploying capital into digital assets, including NFTs, it's just going to, it's going to be an exponential type of thing here. It's, it's going to go crazy. Yeah. And so that's, that's the optimistic me. The pessimistic me is like, I didn't make money as an artist for, for so long, you know, how's <laughs> this even possible? So yeah. I don't know. Curious, because you were so early and super rare, did you ever run into uh, Robbie Brad at all? I did. I did. I had, I see you have number two. I forget. It's like, you have one of the landscapes. I had uh, yes. AI nude portrait number four. Um, Amazing. But I, I sold it because he went south on NFTs. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I, I sort of felt out of respect for him. He doesn't want people to own it. I was like, okay, fine. What does he, what role does he play in the kind of GAN world? I, I don't, I know bits and pieces, but like, were you all kind of collaborating at that point? No, we were talking back then, but uh, I'd rather not get into it. I'll tell the controversy and I'm not going to take a side on it. Sure. But obvious used uh, a GAN. Uh, which it got, Robbie's GANs were open source and it was based on Shintala's work. So there's this AI, not even AI artist, I'd say an AI academic that put out uh, the DC GANs. Robbie ported it. And then uh, Obvious, another artist on Super Rare, used Robbie's port of, of that deep convolutional neural network GAN. And then, of course, I guess Christie's was looking for AI artists back then. Obvious was very cooperative. And Obvious came up with, I think, was a brilliant story of, about their AI. 
out of nowhere, something that I thought was supposed to be 80,000 at Christie's sold for a half a million dollars, 452,000 or something. Uh, but then, but then Robbie Barrett and supporters of him cried foul saying that the, that obvious stole Robbie Barrett's GAN. And the controversy is that some people don't think it was Robbie Barrett's GAN. They think it was Chantal's. Uh, because it was a port of someone else's work. But other people think that, um, yeah, that's the controversy. So people in support of Robbie Barrett said that Obvious stole from him. Obvious's defense was like, this was open source and the reuse was open source is because it was a port of an open source project. So it's for use. And I'm not going to mention where I stand on the product, but that's the controversy. Hmm. What Did Robbie come out and have a statement there? Did he say where he fell on the issue? I don't know. I, I, okay. I think uh, people have mentioned it. People have talked to about it, but I don't know. I don't know. He'd be a great one to get on the show. That'd, that'd be yeah. a fun, fun chat. Yeah, it would be interesting. It's just, yeah, it'd be interesting. He's forsworn AI art, though. This is what's interesting. He won't do, he his, said he won't make any more. It's fascinating. Yeah, it is. It, in in my mind, I, I the reason I collected it is uh, one. I thought it would the landscape and, and being very early on super rare was interesting and clearly someone that was you know playing around with this whether it was a port or not and and doing some innovative thinking around AI art early on. So uh, I wanted a piece of that history and and I thought it was a beautiful piece as well. Yeah, it is. It is they're all gorgeous and the reason he's so popular is because he made these gorgeous uh, pieces and it was an open source project until at least um, Obvious took it. And so a lot of people were able to take his beauty, the the stuff that he made. And um, I guess it was easier for them to use his than Chantala's. So a lot of people just, the, the first use of Gans was his project. Gotcha. And that's his popularity. I think that's his popular. I don't know. Also, also just because he's so uh, mysterious. That's every artist. The more mysterious and, and confrontational you are, the, the more popular you are. So the fact that he gets <laughs> angry, that he gets angry when a piece of his sells for a million dollars. It's just like, yeah. it's like, that's fascinating. Like He's like, stop buying my art for a million dollars. Yeah, it's it's so funny how there's these artists. Like I, I chat with XCopy every once in a while on Discord. Uh-huh. And I'll, I'll, I'll drop something or have a question and he doesn't get back to me and like for weeks or whatever. And I'm always like, ah, oh, he's not writing back. Well, now I, I want to collect his stuff even more. Like he's one of those crazy artists that oh, just yeah, like yeah, doesn't yeah. care about his collectors. But damn it, I want his stuff even more now. It's like it's ridiculous, like yeah. framing in your head that you go through. Well, you, this, that's what you want. You want the the personality, the torture, the just like, yeah, it's, it's just it makes it more interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to cover your Noun GAN study because that was a really cool uh, project that y- that you released. And it's actually more approachable than a lot of your one-of-ones, which is the prices have gone pretty crazy. Yeah, this has been my most successful project ever. And I didn't see it coming. I just thought it was just like a little, a little like just one-off for fun. We've had, we've talked about Nans, Nouns on the show before. So I would say that pretty much everyone's up to speed and then I had Punk4156 come on and talk about the oh, kind of awesome. origin story of the project, which was fun. Um, so you saw this project, like everybody else, myself included, was like, what a crazy, weird idea, but slash awesome, right? What did you decide to do? Well, I got into it because I just saw the the test network and and I and I was like, it was a fun Discord to be on and, and, the, and the nouns look cool. 
and they had a distinctive look. And, and there were these auctions. If anyone was lucky enough to be part of the test, you know, there's auctions on the Rinkeby network. And all you had to do is get a bunch of Rinkeby ETH, which is actually a little harder than it sounds, but it's not for sale. You just had to like find a way to get it. And, and I got into bidding on it for nouns and I had this fantasy that's like, oh my gosh, if it's as low as 20 ETH, I'm going to be able to jump into this and I'll get myself a noun. Of course, I, don't, I doubt any have gone for less than 100 ETH since the project started. But it was such a fun community in the beginning with all of us bidding fake Ethereum for these fake nouns that about 100 got made. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and try and train one of my neural networks, my older ones. Actually, one of my very first neural networks was uh, a GAN that made that generated artificial faces. And I was like, I wonder what it would do with these hundred nouns. And there was a little bit of a challenge because I only had a hundred of them to work from. So I did some data massaging and I started making these GANs generate these images and they came out so colorful and, and they came out dancing almost and moving around and they had the eyes. They had the eyes of the noun GAN so they look like nouns. I was like, whoa, okay, what I did here it's actually really interesting. And uh, and I released them. And everyone that was in the uh, test network loved them. And they all wanted one. And then I said, okay, fine. I, I released it. By the way, I released it in the, the Rinkeby test network on OpenSea, not even like on the mainnet. Um, immediately, everyone got one with their fake ETH. And then I made one. I was like, look, they look even cooler animated. So I released them animated. And I think I, I, think I just like I accepted 0.1 ETH just because it was like a fun community project and they sold out in minutes and, and then they started reselling for ridiculous prices. I think like they're, they're going for as high as 15 ETH recently. And I think the floor is uh, bounces back between seven and 10 ETH. And this is for images that were released about a month and a half ago at 0.1 ETH. And it's been the, that's the most fun thing I've seen happen in my NFT since the early days, you know, just this community project, release it so that everyone has a chance to get it. It's not like as expensive as my one ones mm-hmm. and uh, people have gone nuts with it. I love it. That's so um, cool. Yeah. What is, what's next for you? Like where are you taking this and what do you have planned? So we started off talking about the uh, board eight yacht club. I, I had the GAN. I also mentioned, uh, you know, I've mentioned that I won't do portraits of people without their authorization. So I'm very careful. I, I know there's, I know there's demand, like, for example, if I did a lot of um, crypto punks, but mm-hmm. at the same time, um, my artist sensibility in me says that crypto punks belongs to Larva Labs. Make one or two, like, you know, just to, as a comment on the state of crypto, because I, I'm an artist, a portrait artist in crypto. So, of course, crypto punks come into play because that's the most iconic portrait there is. But anything after that, in my opinion, anything after that for me, and I'm not telling other artists or derivative project is sort of exploiting Larva Labs' work. And, and we've seen horrible examples of that. Like, oh my you know, gosh, horrible. So I had bit, to call one out the other day. Which I don't, know, I don't know if you saw it. The, the, and it's not Solana's fault, but it was minted on the Solana network. Um, oh. But the Solana art, uh, yeah. they, have, they have one that is basically, the only thing that's changed is the background color behind the punk. <laughs> and the yeah. thing copied everything else. And some of them are selling for hundreds of thousands of dollars now. Oh no. Which is just like, that. that's not cool. That's not a derivative work. That's not improving upon or modifying no. somebody's work. 
is just a clone. <laughs> no, I know about that. And I don't like the new, there was that when the Board 8 Yacht Club were like, hey, these are completely unique. They're not like the other because we changed the trades around. I was like, still. And, and it was funny. It's like you mentioned, I had a friend who finally got a punk and they were showing their punk with like a gradient background, like from dark to light. And I was like, no, 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 you got to go solid. And he's like, why? And I was like, if you do a gradient background, it looks like the Solana punks. <laughs> I was like, go solid background or people who think you're like flexing with uh, a fake. Uh, so... Yeah, no, okay. So you understand. So I don't, you know, there's so much demand for like more, for example, Board Ape Yacht Club paintings. I just don't feel comfortable doing it. There's a humongous demand for more nouns. And nouns I found were different. The reason I did 64 of them is because you're talking to 4156, completely open source. They say, mm-hmm. do anything you want with any of these. You know, there's no claim to any copyrights on anything. So I was like, okay, we can do 64. I wouldn't have done it with any other project. But at the same time, at the same time, I'm not a derivative artist, right? If it's not a new, interesting idea, I don't, I don't want to like, I don't want to make art that, that is derivative of someone else's art. Mm-hmm. You know, I want new ideas. So I took what this was cool is what noun, the noun project helped me discover was like, there's a really interesting way to, to put the data together for a GAN and to put the GAN together that makes these dancing, bright, colorful characters. And so I came up with my own um, set of 8-bit art. And then I've been recently calling them BitGANs. And the the name BitGANs is obviously their GANs, but it's also an homage to like, you know, uh, 8-bit art. And these things, these BitGANs, they just... There are a bunch of different characters. Uh, they have the same personality in my mind as how the noun gans came out, but they're, uh, they're their own thing. And, and I did the same thing. I was like, I was like, Hey, my Florence super rare is funny. When I, when I did the noun gans, the, the way I announced it's like my Florence super rare is super high at the time. I think it was 20 ETH, but look, here's your chance to get something for 0.1 ETH. Cause I don't do additions. Yeah. And, uh, and that's why I went nuts. And this time everyone saw how, you know, I totally failed at getting my price down because it's still, you know, at the time I, I released another 128 bit cans at 0.1 ETH, all of them unique because I still don't do additions, but there's part of a series. And I would have to say probably the funnest day I've had in crypto is the day of the auction because I was just on my Discord and we went through 128 and I would just give it to random people. Not all of them were going to random people, some were part of the story. There's a whole story around these BitGans. But, you know, like people would, everyone would bid 0.1 ETH and, uh, and wrapped Ethereum. And I would randomly select from everyone that had bid and, and just award it to the person at 0.1 ETH. And then um, most people are holding, uh, but a lot of people are selling. And, and I, I don't know, I encourage that because I've had fun. So who am I to judge other people flipping? I guess it's part of the NFT game. It's like you don't really own something unless you can sell it. So I, uh, the BitGans to me are, are especially cool because I'm a big fan. It's probably why I collect X copy, but I, I love skulls in general. I yeah. just, and, and they, they look very skully. Like there's like a lot of, a lot of skull, like kind of like feeling vibe to them. They, they yeah. have a certain eeriness to them and it's, it's beautiful. Thanks. Well, here's a sneak peek. The first set, I'm always looking for stuff that makes sense in, in the crypto world. So skulls are everywhere, right? There's Skelly me bits. They're just a big part of crypto. Anything X copy seems to look like a, a skull. Um, Dissolution, one of the pieces I've owned by his was a, a skull going through an animation. But uh, 
That was the first set, 128. Each, I'm never, I'm not going to make uh, any more skull bit gans. That's it. The next one is going to be another theme that's popular is robots. So the next set, this is the first time I've mentioned it publicly. Uh, the next set, which is coming out the 29th, is going to be robo gans. Oh, gonna amazing. Be a, yeah. It's going to be a bunch of robots. And I can't believe how well they came out. They actually came out really cool. So um, th- maybe we should drop this episode on that exact day. That way, if you're listening to this, people can go check it out right away. You said it's uh, on what date? The drop is on the 29th. Okay, awesome. Yeah, that'd be great. The drop is on the 29th, probably noon Eastern time or somewhere around then. Maybe earlier for the European people. I don't know, but it's the 29th. I love it. This is so cool. And I don't know, Kevin, if you've gone into bitgans.com, but there's this whole... It's this whole story behind them, which I can't believe people are responding to. It's like, uh, I, there's this artist done, a really mysterious, really amazing artist that's just started popping up on OpenSea. She has Hout Memories and she does these bird series. X copy. The reason I, I started collecting her and I saw, is I noticed that Maddie Katina and uh, X copy, uh, Owen Robness were getting her work. And I was like, okay, if those three people, into an artist. I got to see what's going on. And I what's, started, what's their address? The Dunn, you said? Yeah, Dunn. Let me find it. Okay, she calls herself Dunn Artist on Twitter. D-U-N Artist. And uh, okdunn.com. I hope that has her. Yeah. Okdunn.com. O-K-A-Y-D-U-N.com. And you can see her stuff. And if you go to Hot Memories and stuff, you just read her. She has these very simple NFTs. And the script, well, to go back into the story. So I, I got into this artist done and she has these really simple, but beautiful NFTs. But the best part of them is, is they have these descriptions and the descriptions give personality to each of the works. And like, and I, I thought that I was like, you know, that's what my work is missing is missing a narrative. You know, there's this really cool technical aspect to everything I do, but there's no story behind the actual pieces. And so I started thinking of the pieces, the bit gans as characters and giving them personalities and they're doing things and they're doing something as a group. And then the story popped up around them that you can read at bit gans where they're for some reason, you know, I almost feel like I should stay in character for this, this podcast for some reason, like I start off, it's like, I can't believe this. My, my video card started spinning, but the computer was off. And then these images started appearing on the screen. Like what's going on? And, uh, and people are having a lot of fun with it. And like the images will appear in my crypto voxel space and then in my Somnium space parcel. I have a general storyline for what's happening that's going to go over the course of about a year. And however many drops it takes to, to fill up all the bitgans that are going to be part of the story. So that's what I'm going with right now. That's like my biggest project. Uh, I love it. And thanks. And, and, and that's not, and I'm going to do that project as well as I always do portraits. So that you're going to see, like, I got a, a Coldy portrait coming up that I'm working on with Coldy. I'm going to be doing portraits always. But uh, besides the portraits of people that I think are interesting and, and, and important in the space, you're going to just see more and more bitgans. Fantastic. Well, this is all very cool stuff. I have a, a laundry list of things to go in and collect, and I'm certainly going to be uh, there on your new drop date <laughs> with, <laughs> okay, with, with ETH waiting. Awesome. So cool. Where can people learn more about all this stuff? Like, What's the best way to track all of these projects? Because even I wasn't aware of everything that you were doing. It seems like it's spread across a couple different platforms. Yeah. Well, so I have a couple audiences, and, and it's funny how they... They don't really intersect, but if you like, I have my AI art 
audience. And I, and that you can follow on cloudpainter.com. And I just have, that's a site that just talks about my AI art. But the, the one that's really active right now is, as we've been discussing is BitGans. And that's at bitgans.com, B-I-T-G-A-N-S.com. And it's an ongoing serial. It's every other day to like what's going on and the drop that's coming up and why the drop is important to the story. Other than that, you always follow me on Super Rare. Uh, Super Rare is like where I do my one of ones and, and maybe once a month or twice a month something comes out. And Twitter, like everything else. Yeah. Uh, oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot that this is something I'm new to. My kids got me into is Discord. And I'm beginning to realize Discord is the future because... Uh, as much complaints as I have about Instagram and Twitter, you know, Discord is this decentralized social media platform. I love it. I, I'm, I, it took me a little while to get used to, but you can find my Discord on my Twitter uh, handle. Yeah, Discord has been, for me, overwhelming at times. There's just so many of them out there that you get involved in. And all of a sudden, I'm, you know, all these DMs, just get another place to check. Yeah, I find myself checking it more than anywhere else, though, now. Oh, that's great. Yeah, for me as well, actually. It's odd. Some of it was going on Telegram there for a while, and now it's mostly Discord, at least on the NFT side. Oh, really? Telegram? Interesting. Yeah, some people were using that for a while, but I think it's more crypto-specific stuff, and, and the NFT stuff is certainly all about Discord. Okay, cool. Great. Well, I want to say, Pendar, thank you so much for coming on the show and, and giving us this background and, and all of the fun stuff that you're working on. There's a lot of stuff to check out here. Oh, thanks, Kevin. It's been, it's, I love talking about this. I mean, I, artists create stuff so we can share it. So I love talking about it. I love that you're interested. It's great. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll have to have you back on again soon. Oh, actually, you know, one last final question. Since you are so kind of influential in the space and been doing it for so long, I, I'd be curious to know, and you, you give us one great one there with Dunn. What are some other artists up and coming or established, doesn't matter, that you kind of track? Like, are there any that you pay attention to that you think are doing new and unique and novel stuff? Yeah, you know, there's this one, Kitty Life Art. She does portraits, and I think her portraits are subtle. Uh, there's, uh, gosh, I I always, here's what I always worry about, Kevin, is I, I leave off people because, you know, right. <laughs> like, why didn't you mention me? But here, I'll go through some recent purchases. Of course, um, Stella, that's the best way of doing it. Uh, Stella Bell, is interesting, of course. Angie Taylor, I always like enjoy her stuff because it's interesting. And not only, you know, are both of these people make interesting art, but they're really active in helping other artists. And, that, and that's important to me. And so, uh, why don't I just leave it at those two? Because there's so many more. When I collect a piece, and this is my, hey, this is good advice to artists. When I, I look at one piece of art, it could be the most beautiful piece of art that, you know, has ever existed. But then I, I want to go look at the, uh, the body of work to see if it's consistent, if the artist makes stuff mm -hmm. like that all the time and that I can recognize, you know, this is important. Like when you see an Angie Taylor or Estella Bella, Estella Bell, sorry, um, you can, you immediately know it's theirs. Same with Kitty Life Art. When you see one of her portraits, you immediately know it's hers. I think that's important. But then on top of that is what are they doing inside the space? How interesting is their voice inside the space? And that's what, what I find interesting and, and, and compelling. Yeah. So those are two other big artists. I, I, I don't know if, you know, they're definitely both established. Uh, Kitty's coming up. But uh, yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, I think we're on the same page there. Like, you know, obviously there has to be that initial attraction to the work that you're looking at. But mm -hmm. then like you, I go through the back catalog and there's the number of artists where I've seen them not quite find their footing yet, but I've been really impressed by a single piece. 
And then you go and you look at the history and it's just like, they're all over the place, you know, yeah. like totally different styles, trying out a bunch of different things. And I think that that creativity and just the exploration is fun to watch them evolve. But yeah, I try to look for some consistency and some uh, like a, a real voice there that, that they have this, they're u- uniquely theirs, if that makes sense. Yeah. Hey, do you mind me asking you if you have any things that I, I should be on the lookout for? Well, do you know John with all the J's? Yeah. Yeah, so I, I really, he was actually one that if you go back and look through his back catalog, he had a very different style for a while and was experimenting with a bunch of different things and then kind of got hooked on this more frame series. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's someone I would say that I have been, I started to collect a few of those, but that that's more on the Tezos side of thing. I think there's a lot of up and coming artists that are minting on Tezos. Mm. And so that's a little bit kind of a harder network to traverse like their website for that is like the hen website is horrific but yeah i think that's kind of like what makes it cool it's like you have to you have to figure out how to poke your way around them there in order to find the good artists but yeah yeah i have a handful there that i'm tracking and then for me i think about some of the more blue chip stuff that i just think is historically significant and so that's the the reason why i i mean i love the the x copies but it's the reason why i'm starting to put together kind of the portfolio there as well a lot of art block stuff early art blocks i was Mm. a collector of so uh, but i'm i'm always on the hunt i'm always looking for new and up and coming artists and that's Mm. that's the beautiful thing about this space is this we're gonna see so much new talent flooding in over the next few years it's in one hand it's going to get increasingly difficult to to sort and find folks which is so much of a, a flood but that's the challenge and i think what part of what makes it fun yeah no definitely that's definitely true uh, i've been into some of the pixel art though do you do you like some of that stuff as well yeah it's it's to go back to bitgans i think that's the appeal of these bitgans is is gans are the cutting edge of ai art but the bitgans are pixel art they're pixelized yeah. gans and it's kind right. of funny how well they they work most people are trying to go for super high resolution. I'm like, no, no, let's dial it down to 32 by 32. You know, it's like, and let's see how cool it looks. It looks cool. Yeah, I was going to say some of that is probably dating me because I, I I tend to like some of the stuff that reminds me of, obviously, the nostalgic side that reminds you of your childhood. And so, like, some of the stuff that I am drawn to is more of the 8-bit style. Um, mm. You know, Nicholas Sassoon does some great stuff. I'm not sure if you've... You've seen mm-hmm. some I'll of his works, out. but Pixel Fool is another one. There's there's a bunch of like, but they're very, very, very 8-bit, like just cubes and just beautiful, fun fun algorithms that dance and do various things with 8-bit. It's kind of the merger of 8-bit and glitch in some sense. Yeah, okay. I'll check that out. Cool. Well, this has been fun. We got to do this again. It's always uh, right. great to have an artist on and, and also uh, chat about all the fun stuff that's happening in this world. Yeah, definitely. It, it is. I can't believe how much it's going to change. Even by this year, just think about how different it was last year. This time, yeah. and I, I can't wait to see what happens next year. This time, it's just hard to keep up with. Even being in the middle of it, I, I got to say, when I woke up this year and it was kicking off the beginning of the year, I mean, it was you know politically, it was really crazy with a lot of stuff going on. And yeah. then I was just like, "What is this year going to be?" And then all of a sudden, NFTs just exploded and took over my mind for months <laughs> so, yeah. so you just like really never know which uh, kind of version of the universe we're going to get every every few months it seems like it's so this, this space is moving so fast yeah yeah you can see why like i mentioned earlier i was i'm an ai artist but now i consider myself a crypto artist because it's just so much more interesting ai art is fascinating but nothing like what's going on with crypto like yeah. nothing not even close 
So, well, awesome. Pandora, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah. Thank you, Kevin. It was awesome. All right. That is it for this episode. The one quick thing you can do that would be super helpful is obviously tell your friends about the show, but also head on over to proof.xyz slash reviews. And there's a button there to rate the show. Uh, giving us a review would be much appreciated because we're a brand new show. And the other thing is just a reminder, we have all the full show notes, all the links to everything we talked about today. You can just find over at proof.xyz. Thanks for listening. 